Thank you, Greg, and those for leading us in worship. I used to be able to call out the individuals by name, but they're getting so so many up here on the platform, which is a blessing and a great gift, but I do not want to try to say every individual name because I'm going to forget one, at least one. So thank you, Greg, and those that serve with him and leading us in worship. Thank you all um, for doing that every single morning. I hope that when you came in this morning, and we are so glad that you're here, I hope you got a copy of the bulletin. Um, if no other reason, there's information about the church and what's going on in the life of the church inside of it, but there's also some notes on the back of it. If you want to take that out and use that during our time together in the Word, I would invite for you to make use of that. I hope you have a Bible with you, something that you can open up, something that you can turn on, and that you join me in Jonah chapter 2. Start in Jonah chapter 2. You're going to be there. We're actually going to start up in verse 17, but Jonah chapter 2 will get you close enough to where we're going to be at um, this morning. But Jonah chapter 2 or Jonah 1.17, it's just one verse before, but we're going to be in Jonah. We have been walking through this book of the Bible the last several weeks, um, looking at what the Bible has to say to us through the prophet of Jonah, through the history of Jonah, and uh, looking at this short little four-chapter book in the Minor Prophets on what it has to say to us here in 2022. It was May of last year that Guidepost Magazine published an article, and the title of the article was The Art of the Apology. And in this article, the writer is discussing about the various ways that people give apologies. And she actually quoted in the article a woman by the name of Beverly Engel. Beverly Engel was a woman that had written a book entitled The Power of Apology. And so this whole article was about how people are supposed to apologize, how you can do it incorrectly, how you can do it correctly. It referenced the book talking about this is how you, you have, this is how you perform, this is how you give a proper Apology. In the article, quoting the Beverly Engel that, that wrote the book, she said, a meaningful apology comes down to what she calls the three R's. Regret, responsibility, and remedy. Now, I remember reading this in the article and I thought, you know, how many times do we see that play out in our society and yet it's done with insincerity? I don't know if you've been experiencing this before, but having grown up with a number of siblings and having a number of kids now myself, you will, something will take place, something will happen, and you will look at that child, you will look at your sibling, and they will say, tell your brother or sister you're sorry. And they look at them and go, sorry. And you're like, no, you didn't mean it. Say it meaningfully. Say it like you really mean it. And they just sit there, sorry, sorry. You hear this today in our political world, in our cultural world, that somebody will get up there pressured by their job or pressured by external forces, and they'll get up and say, oh, you know, I really didn't mean to do that. And it looks like there is all kinds of insincerity and lyingness all over their faces. And sometimes in our life as a believer or as a Christian or our journey of faith, we start to think that we go to God just like we go to our siblings or to this world. We come and we do something wrong and we know we shouldn't have done it wrong. And we go to God and say, God, you know what? Sorry, my bad. And we move on. And we think that's what it means to repent. You ever heard the phrase, I will do it now and ask for forgiveness later? 
Sometimes we will do things against God, sin against God, profane God's holiness, and then we will go to God and act like it's no big deal, what's, what's the rub, and we just go to God and we say sorry and we go on. And that is not the picture of repentance that we see in Scripture. When you look up the word repentance in your Bible, it will be defined as a deep sorrow, a regret for a past action, or a contrition over something that you have done. And we're told when it comes to being a Christian and when it comes to placing your faith in Jesus Christ and first becoming saved, it's talking about repenting of your sins, confessing of your sins, crying out for forgiveness of your sins. And we talk about what this repentance, what this apology, what does it look like to come to God and say sorry. Well, this morning in Jonah chapter two, we see a prayer. It's the prayer of Jonah. It's the prayer that Jonah prays to God. And in this prayer, not only does Jonah repent before God, not only does Jonah say sorry to God, but we get to see his heart. We get to see the way that he repents before the Lord. And so you see there, if you have those notes pulled out in front of you, we are going to see, hopefully together, walking through this text, we're going to see Jonah's model for repentance. And I hope this is something that you and I then, then can take home with us or take throughout the day and say, when it comes to us recognizing our faults, our sin, our wrong against God, do we repent? Do we say sorry like this? Now, for the sake of context, for some of you that may be just joining us for the first time or watching uh, virtually, and maybe you're not familiar with where we've been in the context here in Jonah, we're going to catch you up as we go along. So please don't feel like I'm dropping you into the middle of the neighborhood and with, knowing, uh, with not knowing anything about the neighborhoods or the surrounding areas. So we're going to go back and pick up some of the context as we go. But here in Jonah chapter 2, or sorry, Jonah chapter 1, and starting in verse 17, which is the verse right before chapter 2, he picks up this idea of what is happening in the life of Jonah. Now, if you were to go back and read your Bible, you would see where Jonah was called by God to do some stuff. He didn't do the stuff. He decided to leave the stuff. He decided to run from the stuff. He ends up getting thrown overboard by the, the, uh, the boat and the sailors that he is traveling with. And in verse 17, this is what the Lord, word of the Lord says. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then, in some of your Bibles, it will have the word then. So the very beginning of verse 1 of chapter 2, some of your Bibles will have the word then. Some of your Bibles may not. So if you're looking at me going, well, which is the right one, which is not the right one, and where should it be at? In the original text, there is a two-letter Hebrew word pronounced va. And va is used multiple times throughout your text as a conjunctive. A conjunctive is something that connects one thought, one, uh, one phrase from one area to the other. It, it can sometimes be translated as and, then, that, for, yet, etc., etc. So in the original language, you have the two-letter Hebrew word, va. So when you get down there to chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying... So, the picture that you see and the picture that I want you and I to come to when he starts to say, say sorry is he's been thrown overboard. He gets swallowed up by a great fish. The Bible doesn't say whale, it just says a great fish. He's in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prays. 
Now you can find commentary. You can find some preachers that say, well, it wasn't a full three days and a full night. You'll find some commentaries that'll say that he, in the belly of the fish, he had no way to know whether it was a literal day, three days or three nights. It wasn't like he had a Timex watch that kept on ticking and he was down there looking at his indigo face knowing what time it was. It wasn't like he was getting daily updates on his Blackberry. It wasn't one of those things. You see, you'll have people that will they'll question the legitimacy of it. But here in the text, it says that the great fish swallowed Jonah and then Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Verse one, then Jonah prayed to God. And we're gonna pick through this prayer together and to see how Jonah prayed to God. It says in chapter two and verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I was called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. I wanna remind you this morning when it comes to saying sorry to God that it's never too late. It's never too late. Now I realize that you can get technical with me this morning. You can say, well, Spence, you know what? When you die and, and you spend an eternity in hell, there's a some point where you're going to look at me and say, it is too late. I am going to tell you that you being here this morning, having breath, having life on this side of eternity, it is never too late to repent. It is never too late to get right before God. It is never too late to turn from your sin, to turn from your behavior, and to turn from your own sin and turn to God. I realize eternally speaking, there is a point when it, it becomes too late. But what I want you to think about with me right now is while you have breath and while you have consciousness and while you, ha while you have a choice, it is never too late. <clears throat> the context that we see here is Jonah. Jonah is in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and finally he decides, I am going to pray to God. And as he prays to God, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Now, I think if you're going to try to look for some understatements in the Word of God, this is going to be one in the top five of the understatements. Think about this. Jonah is in the belly of a fish which means he can't go anywhere, he can't do anything, he's in the belly of the fish, he's been in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, he almost drowned, being thrown overboard, and now he's in this belly of the fish and he says, yeah, I'm having a bad day. No, Jonah, you're having more than a bad day, you're having a bad week, you're having a bad month, you're having a bad year. He says, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress. Well, why is Jonah in distress? Well, if we're to go back into chapter one, we'd understand why Jonah is where he's at. First thing, God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach to those in Nineveh. And Jonah wakes up and says, you know what? I'm not doing that. God said, do it, and I'm not gonna do it. In other words, what he decided to do was God decided to disobey, or Jonah decided to disobey God. Not only to decide to disobey God, but then he also decided to deny God. He denied God by saying, God, you want me to go to the east, to Nineveh? I am going to go to the west. I'm going to go to the west as far to the west as I can go. I'm going to get on a boat and cross the Mediterranean Sea. I am headed to Tarshish. I am leaving, and I'm going far, far away from here. He disobeyed God. He denied God. And then not just that, but Jonah defied God. If you were to see up there in chapter 1, 
He's down in the middle of the boat. He's down in the, the, the belly of the ship and he is asleep and the storm is going outside and it's raging back and forth and the professional sailors think we are going to die. We're going to sink. Oh, it's all over. We're going to drown. There's no coast guard. There's no beacon. There's no life raft. It is all over. And the captain goes down and he wakes up Jonah. And he says, Jonah, aren't you scared? Cry out to your God. Jonah doesn't do that. You look here in chapter one, Jonah comes up on the deck and the professional sailors are looking around at Jonah and saying, well, whose fault is this? So they decided to cast lots or they decided to draw straws and they figured out it was Jonah's fault. And Jonah told them, this is why this is going on. This is what is happening. This is the reason for this is coming. But it never says that Jonah prayed out to God. Not only had he disobeyed God, he had denied God and he had defied the authority of God in his life. I would consider that to be more distressful than sitting in the belly of a fish. But Jonah cries out to God, even though he had disobeyed God, even though that he had denied God, even though that he had defied God. Three days, three nights, he decides, I'm willing to pray to God. What's it going to take for you to turn to God. I realize that some of you in this room, you're giving me this look, you're like, what, I gotta turn to God. I'm here, I, I, I don't have anything to do. No, there's things, there's things in all of our lives, all, all means me included. There's things in all of our lives that we're holding on to that we haven't given to God. There's things that we have in our lives that we are still holding on to saying, you know what, God, I'll give you these eight things, but these two things are mine, you don't get them. There are things that we are dealing with in our lives today that we will give God so much and then we won't give him the rest of it. And I wonder what will it take for you and I to come to the point to say, here you go, here you go, God, you have it all. Or there may be seasons in your life that you can point back to, or maybe there's just some of you young people in this room that unfortunately, there may be seasons ahead of you that you come to the point that you decide, I'm not going to do what my parents say, I'm not going to do what the preacher says, I'm going to do what I want to do, and we disobey, we deny, we defy, and we try to do it our own way. Regardless of where you're at, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what's in front of you, I want to remind us as a church this morning, it is never too late. It was never too late for Jonah to pray to God. Let me give you back to another story that we get out of the New Testament, out of Acts chapter 9. You have the conversion of Paul, which is at the time was called Saul. Remember this guy? He's the guy that was sitting there approving of the stoning of Stephen. Then later on, he goes to the religious leaders and says, give me letters so that I can go to Damascus and I can arrest and bound all of the people that claim to be Christians there up in Damascus. And what was he going to do? He was going to bind them and bound them and he was going to bring them to Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't say, but why do you think he was going to bring them to Jerusalem? Well, where were they at when they stoned Stephen? They were in Jerusalem. Why did they stone Stephen? Because he was professing to be a believer in Jesus Christ. So Saul at the time, now known as Paul, says, let me go. Let me go up to Nazareth. I'll arrest all these people. I'll bring them back down to either try them, shun them, or even stone them. And you know the story. He's on his way. Donkey, mule, horse, whatever it may be. Clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Think of the Monty Python scenes with the coconut shells. They're going along there. Clickety-clack, clickety-clack. And all of a sudden, the bright light shines. And he's on the ground. And he asked the question, who are you, Lord? 
It's never too late, friend. It's never too late, brother or sister. It's never too late, church, to turn back to God. Here in Jonah chapter two, he had been in the belly three days and three nights. You think, why did it take him so long? I don't know, but you know what? There's been times in my seasons of life that I've been knuckleheaded enough that it probably would have taken me four or five days to finally get right before God. But there's a season, there's a time when it comes to that Jonah says, all right, here I am. I'm gonna pray to God. So the first picture he gives us of repentance is that it is never too late. Well, then you go on to verse three down through verse six. And what you'll see there in verse three through verse six is you'll see Jonah's plea to God. And then from verse six down to verse 10 or verse nine, you will see God's answering of Jonah. So there in verse two of the text that we've just been looking at, you kind of see the summary that he says, I was in my distress, God answered me. But then he starts in verse three and he starts to unpack what his distress looked like, what his plea looked like. And what you're going to see with me is Jonah is going to remind you and I this morning that hopelessness, hopelessness is a choice. Hopelessness is a choice. You may come to the point in your life that you feel like there's not going to be any more sunny days in the future. You may come to the point in your life that you may start to think that it can't get any Better. You may come to the point in your life that you're thinking that it will never Im, I, improve, improve, get better. The idea that he reminds us is that hopelessness is a choice. Look at verse three. It's the same conjunctive word, the va word, the two-letter word there in the Hebrew. He says, for you cast me into the deep. Now, Jonah is crying out to God. Yes, we understand that the sailors were the ones that threw Jonah in, but really it was God's sovereignty that threw Jonah into the water. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet, another conjunctive, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He is describing and he's explaining the depths of his desperation. He is saying, you know what? There was a time when I was thrown over the ship that I am sinking down in the water, that I am in the process of drowning in troubles. You ever gotten to that point where you felt like you just had so many troubles going on around you that you just felt like you were drowning in troubles? It may start off with having a disagreement with your spouse. And you and your spouse start having an argument and you're not getting along and then all of a sudden the kids decide they're gonna start being terrorists. And then they're gonna come along there and all of a sudden you start having problems with the kids. And so now you've got problems in your marriage, you've got problems in the kids, and then you go to work and you start having problems in the workplace. And it feels like at some point you just wanna look at people and say, I've got enough troubles. I don't need any more. Jonah is there. He's cast into the deep. Verse three, all your waves and your billows passed over me. The waves had come upon him. He was sinking 
down. He says in verse five, the water's closing over me to take my life. He says there in verse six, at the roots of the mountains. In other words, he's going so deep down in the water that he can see the base of the mountains, see the base where the mountains were coming up out of the water. He was drowning in troubles. He was surrounded by problems and he got to the point that he thought to himself, it cannot get any worse. There's a comedian, a Christian comedian, stand-up comedian. He talks about having a teenage daughter. The teenage daughter comes in and they're having a conversation. He makes a statement and she says, oh, this is the worst. And she's talking about something superficial. She's talking about something that's cool. And he goes off on this whole tangent about her saying, this is the worst. And he starts to talk to her about how that she is an affluent young lady living in the United States with air conditioning and cell phones and internet and a soft bed and a roof over her house and all this stuff, hasn't missed a meal, da 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 And he starts trying to point out to her that there are a lot of things that are worse in life than the way that you have it right now. And regardless of where you have been or where you are headed, And I'm not trying to make light of your circumstance or your situation. I'm just telling you that there will come a time that you will hit that point and you will say, it cannot get any worse. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. It can always get worse on this side of eternity. It can always get worse. And sometimes the reason why you and I have that attitude is because we lack the perspective of what other people are dealing with in life. We lack that understanding of what is going on around us. We start to think in our own minds, in our own lives, oh, we are just hopeless. It cannot get any worse. Oh my gracious, my air conditioner went out. I am so hot. Oh, oh, I'm having such a hard time. Poor pitiful me. You realize how many millions and billions of people are in this world right now that do not have air conditioning? You can get by. You can make it. Oh, I have lost my job or I'm having problems in the home or I'm having this situation and that situation. There is always someone, there is always someone that has endured what you have endured. Can imagine Jonah. Jonah is sinking almost like a fishing weight and he's going down to the water. Blue, 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 blue. He's going down there and as he was recounting as he's in the belly of the fish, he says, I thought this was it. I thought this was it. I was sinking in the water. There was no rescue, no hope coming in sight. Not only I disobeyed, denied, defied God. I was abandoned by the sailors. I was abandoned by the captain. I was abandoned by the ship. I'm down here in the deeps of the waters. It cannot get any worse. And yet Jonah is still saying, I am not without hope. Brothers and sisters, there is not a place that you're going to come to in your life where you are completely hopeless. Why can I make such a statement? Because there is not a place in your life that you're going to get on this side of attorney where God is not present. Let me read for you out of 1 Samuel chapter 30. The context here, the story here is David is on the run from Saul. Saul is trying to kill David because he knows that David is going to be the next king. And so Saul's like, I don't want that to happen. So he's trying to kill David. So at one point, David then runs and he joins the Philistines. And he joins and he's living amongst the Philistines. Now, you know, 
If you know your history, the Philistines were the arch enemy, the enemies of the Jewish Israelite people. And so David actually goes to the arch enemies, the people that you would have never thought they would go to. He goes and he's living amongst the Philistines and he's serving the king Achish. And as he's serving the king Achish, the Achish and the other Philistine commanders decide they are going to go to war against Israel. So David says, all right, I'm going to join the Philistines. I'm living here. I'm going to go with them. He gets down there. Achish says, no, you can't fight with this. Go back home. But in the meantime, where David and his men, his wives, his children, all of his possessions were at the town known as Ziklag. And in Ziklag, David had left all the stuff to go help the Philistines fight. When they get there, not only did they get dejected and they get turned around by the Philistines, so now they're upset because they feel like they didn't get to do what they wanted to do. And now they're headed back to Ziklag. And while they were gone, while they were gone, the Amalekites... The Amalekites came and took all of David's wives, all of David's children, all of David's stuff, and not just his stuff, but all of his mighty men around him, his entire army. They come back, back to Ziklag, and the place is burned. All their wives, their kids, their possession, everything is gone, and they are upset at David. And it says, oh, I lost my place. They said, and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. So imagine this, David comes back, his house has been torched, his wife and his kids are gone, all of his possessions were taken, and not just that, all of his soldiers, all of their stuff has been taken, and not just that he is now a stench in the sight of the Philistines, now he has no homeland, now he's on the run from Saul, now he has no possessions, now he has no family, and now the very people that have promised to serve him and to protect him and to be his soldiers are now saying, we are going to stone him. So what did David do? Did David reach? for the bottle? Did he reach for the rolling papers? Did he reach for the prescription drugs? Did he reach for the ice cream and croutons? Did he reach for the TV remote to binge watch and to forget his problems? Did he say, well, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to jump on my video game console and I'm just going to play video games for the next 36 hours. No, no, no. Those are things that we do today to try to cope with the problems that we face in life. Those are the things that you and I do today to try to hide from the things that we're dealing with in life, the troubles and the problems and all the things that are going wrong. You and I think, well, if we'll just ignore it for a period of time, it will go away. And I'm here to tell you, once you got done with the bottle, the problems are still there. Once you sober up, from whatever the substance is that you're taking to put yourself in a different state of mind, the problems are still there. <clears throat> when the crouton bag and the ice cream carton is gone, the problems are still there. When the Gilmore, last episode of Gilmore Girls has finished, the problems are still there. So what did David do? It says there in verse six, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He realized, David realized, there wasn't a depth, there wasn't a place, there wasn't a moment of helplessness, hopelessness that he could get where God was not at. 
And so brothers and sisters, friends, if you're here this morning and you're like, well, Spence, you don't know my situation. Spence, you don't know the problems I'm in. You don't know everything I'm dealing with. I want you to hear from me as lovingly as possible. If you're in a place in life that you feel to be hopeless or helpless, I want you to hear it is a choice. Because there is not a place that you can be on this side of eternity where God is not present. So Jonah, as he is bobbing down through the water like a fishing way, he understands as he's going down and he's going down and he's going down. He is saying, I thought it was over. I thought this was going to be the end of it. I thought there wasn't any help. I thought there wasn't any hope. Yet, verse, and I'm here in verse 6, the second part of verse 6. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is saying in so many words, I kind of summarize it there in your notes, what Jonah is saying is grace. Grace is never deserved. Notice with me, he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit. He is acknowledging who did the saving, God did the saving. Who was it that brought him up out of the pit? God brought him up out of the pit. It wasn't that all of a sudden Jonah thought back to his grade school days of learning how to swim in the municipal pool and he decided, well, I'm gonna start treading water. It wasn't that. It wasn't that he found some natural upflow, up uh, riptide coming up and he was able to get up to the top of the water and save himself. No, Jonah realizes that it was the grace of God that saved him from death. It was the grace of God that saved him from destruction. He says there in verse 6b, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. He says there in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you. I want you to hear me say this morning that grace is never deserved, but at the same time, God hears you. Does that mean that God always gives you the answer you want to have? No. Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the no. Sometimes the answer is no, sometimes the answer is not yet. Sometimes the answer is wait. Sometimes the answer is be patient. Sometimes the answer doesn't even come and you don't even hear it. And sometimes you and I get to the point that we start to think, well, God isn't listening to me. God doesn't hear me. Oh no, God hears you. He hears your prayers and he hears your profanity. <laughs> he hears your reverence and he hears your blasphemous. He hears your doubts and he hears your faith. God hears you. God hears you. When the boys are young, they would come up and they'd ask me a question. And they wouldn't even let me have a chance to answer before they'd answer the ask the question again. May I have a piece of gum? 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 And I'm like, well, if you would be quiet, I could give you an answer. So we taught them. We said, okay, so here's what you do. When you come up and you say, I have a piece of gum and I haven't answered yet, you just put your hand on my arm, you put your hand on my shoulder and that lets me know that you are waiting for an answer. You just come up and you're patient. You just come up and you press in. You just come in and you touch. You just come in and say, all right, I have asked the question and I will wait until you're ready to answer me. I wonder how many times God says, you know what, I have heard you and if you'll just wait, I will give you an answer in my season and in my timing and my answer is gonna be a whole lot better than your answer. So if you will just wait on me, draw close to me, trust in me, have rest in me and wait and hear from me, I will answer you. 
But we come up and we say, God, I want to know about, I want this answer. I want to have this request. And I want this thing done. And we just go bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce. And we don't hear from God because we're not listening to God. We just say, well, God must not answer me. I'm going to do it my way. And then we go around looking at people saying, well, God just doesn't hear my prayers. If God can hear Jonah's prayer, God can hear your prayer. Just remind you, Jonah disobeyed God. He, he, he denied God. He defied God. Jonah is almost to the base, base of the sea because he was running to see how far away he'd get from God. He was trying to do everything he could to get away from the voice of God. And yet when Jonah cried out, God heard him. That's why it's called grace. That's why it's called grace to understand that there is never a point in your life on this side of eternity that God doesn't hear you. But it's not just that God hears you. It's this other part that he says there in verse 8. God loves you. He says he loves you. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He said those people that are chasing all the things this world puts in front of them, they're chasing all of these idols, they're chasing all of these lies, they're chasing all these things. The Bible, the, the world says matter. He says they're doing all of that and they're ignoring the love that God has for them. What do you mean the love that God has for you? The love that God has for you because he understood that you are going to sin against God. And that sin, the penalty for that sin will be eternal death, hell. And he realizes there's nothing you could do enough. There's nothing you could do uh, sufficient enough. There's no money that you could have. There's no goodness in you. There is no way that you could earn your way to heaven. So in eternity past, God knew that you needed a savior. So then God, thousands of years ago, sent his son to live a life that you and I cannot live, live a perfect life as a human, was tempted and, and faced the persecution every way that we have, lived the life that we could not live so that he could die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And then as he died on the cross, he was put in the tomb for three days and three nights, and then he comes up out of the tomb, defeating death, making it possible so that there might be forgiveness of sins. So now in the 2022, you and I can come before God. We can repent of our sins. We can confess our sins. We can believe that Jesus died for our sins, and God can forgive us of our sins, not because of my goodness or your goodness, but because of the goodness of his son, Jesus Christ. And all of that, the Bible says, is because God loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He tells us that God loves you. And how many times do you and I take the love of God and we throw it away because we want to be more loved by the world than we are loved by God? And what a travesty it is in our daily lives when we are desiring more the love of this world than we are the love of God. <clears throat> But despite that, God still loves you. But then he says there in verse, the last part of verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah gives us the picture that grace is never deserved because God hears you, because God loves you, and this final one, because God saves sinners. Because God saves sinners. So it's not merited. It is not deserved. It's not because of your worth. 
It's grace. It's undeserved grace. And as Jonah is sitting there in the belly of the fish, as Jonah is sitting there in the belly of this great fish, he, 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 he testifies to it. He professes it again. And he says, I understand that I'm not here because of my goodness. I'm not here because of my intelligence. I'm not here because of my life choices. I am here because of the grace of God. I don't know what God has uh, planned for me outside of this fish in the immediate future, but I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. He says, what I have vowed, I will pay. He says, I know that salvation is from God. Salvation is not because of my demographic or my heritage or my ethnicity or because of who I'm married to or my children or my job. Salvation is from God. So he's sitting there in the pool of the great fish, realizing the greatness of God. There's a hymn that some of us grew up singing that made me think of this picture there in the life of Jonah. The words go like this. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. All my heart to him I give, ever to him I'll cling. In his blessed presence live, ever his praises sing. Love so mighty and so true, merits my soul's best song. Faithful, loving service to him belongs. Souls in danger, look above. Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea, billows his will obey. He, your savior, wants to be saved today. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Jonah is there in the belly of the fish, and he realizes the only hope that he has is God. He realizes the only hope that God gives is grace. He realizes what it means to say sorry to God. Let me give you some good news. Some good news that you can walk out of the door with this morning. <clears throat> Maybe some way to uh, process what we see out of the life or the model of Jonah. The first one is this. God uses distress to direct devotions. God uses distress to direct devotions. If you go back up there in verse two, he says, I was distressed. I was having a rough season of life. I had denied God. I had turned away from God. I was trying to run from God. And yet God, even at my worst, even at the worst place, God found me. God uses distress to direct devotion. Sometimes it comes to the point of our lives that God says, I've got to take all these other distractions away. I've got to take all of these idols away. I've got to take all of this down so that you can see and turn to me. Sometimes it's in the way of success. Sometimes it's in the way of obstacles. Sometimes it's in the way of the troubles. Sometimes there's things that God brings into our lives to help remind us of where we are supposed to be. You're going down the highway You'll get to, a seat, get to a section of the road and there'll be those silver guardrails lining the highway. The reason why they're there is that they want to try to protect people from going off the road in that direction. 
And so if the people are coming along and they get too close and they hit that silver metal guardrail and they realize, hey, I shouldn't be going on that way and they get back into the roadway the same way that you have the, the barrier down the middle, the concrete barrier, that's, that, that's there. So when you get too close, it tells you do not go that way and you get back in. Nobody looks at that silver metal, silver, silver metal barrier after they've struck it and go, why did somebody put that there? I can't believe it. Oh my goodness, God is responsible and he's the bad guy. No, they're grateful because it saved them from worse destruction. There's things that God may be putting in your life that you may get mad at God because you don't get what you want out of life, but God has put those there to save you from worse destruction. Sometimes he uses distress to direct devotions. The second good news I want to give you this morning is that you are not out of the reach of God. You are not out of the reach of God. You may say, well, you know what? I have done a lot of bad things. I have covered a lot of territory. There is a lot of water under the bridge. You don't think that God can save me after the things I've done, the things I've been guilty of, the kind of life I've lived. There is nothing. I am a helpless, hopeless case. It doesn't matter who you are this morning. You are never out of the reach of God. And may I also tell you this morning, you do not know of a person that is out of the reach of God this morning. You do not know of a person that is out of the reach of God this morning. Sometimes I think that we don't tell people about Jesus because we think, well, they can't get saved. They don't want to get saved. They don't, they don't have any idea what it means to be saved. We think that they will never turn to Christ. We know what kind of scoundrel they are. We know what kind of life they live. We know what they've done. Oh, why would we tell them they, they can't get saved? There is not a single person that we know that is out of the reach of God. And number three, you have a purpose for living. You have a purpose for living. Why do I think that is good news? Well, you look there, Jonah chapter two and verse 10, how the story then comes to an end during our time together this morning. He's been in the fish three days and three nights. He prays, he repents, he says sorry to God. He recognizes his sin. He recognizes his fault. He recognizes the grace of God in his life. And then what does it say? It says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that I like to look at the literal wording that is there. And so the way that I read it is, is the, the fish came up and it wasn't that it vomited Jonah out into the water. It was a large enough fish to hold a man and it was a large enough fish that was able to projectile Jonah out onto the dry land. So you can imagine that you're Jonah and you got through praying to God and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen next, but it's in God's hands. And all of a sudden you feel things start getting kind of violent. Things start, and all of a sudden you get shot out of like a man out of a cannon. And the next thing you know, you're landed out there on dry land. Why? Because God has a purpose for your life. You go back to chapter one, God's purpose for Jonah's life was that he was going to go and he was going to tell the Ninevites about God. He was going to go to tell them about their sin before God. So God said, Jonah, that is your purpose. That's what I want you to do. Jonah said, nope, I'm not doing it. And he does his running. You get to the end of chapter two. And once Jonah gets his mind right, God's like, good. Now I want you to keep going and do what I told you to do. There's not a single person in this room that God does not have a purpose for your life. 
You might have made a bunch of bad turns along the way. You may not be going in the current direction that God wants you to go. You may have intentionally tried to sabotage that purpose and that direction to please your own self, but there is not a single person from Micah all the way up to the oldest person in the room. There is not a single person in the room that God does not have a purpose for your life. Do you know what it is? And are you on it? See Jonah here in the text. He's in the fish. Got his mind right before the Lord and the fish. Said sorry, repented before God. And not only did God bring grace and mercy upon his life, but God put him back on the trajectory so that Jonah could fulfill his purpose from God. So as you're here this morning, you might be in a position in your life that you're saying, Spence, it feels like I'm in the belly of the fish. It feels like I already know what God wants me to do, but I decided to play the Jonah. I decided to run, and now I feel like I've just put a lot of problems around my life. I feel like i got a lot of things going on in my, in my circumstances, and I just need to repent. I need to say I'm sorry. I need to get back on the plan that God has for my life. You might be here, and you might be that fishing lake going down through the water, still defiant, still rebellious. Don't wait three days. Recognize where you're at today and repent and say you're sorry. Or maybe here this morning and you've never placed your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ and today is to be a day of salvation. Whatever it is, are you pursuing the purpose that God has for your life? Will you bow your heads with me?